On this episode of the Concast, we're going to talk all things public speaking. This is episode 140. And when someone suggested this, uh, this topic to me for today's episode, I thought, what a great topic to speak on for a number of reasons. This is one of the most feared things by people, as well as this is something that was really good for me to reflect on my transition through the varying stages of development as I've attempted to become a better version of myself in the topic for today, which is public speaking. So I thought the way that I would lay this out is speak to a little bit of my journey, as well as then divide the public speaking or the speech process into parts preparation before the speech, during the speech, and after the speech, and then wrapping up with some questions that people have asked me about this topic. I think that there'll be something for everyone here, whether you are a regular public speaker, whether you're teaching on a regular basis, but then even if you're the person listening and you have a speech coming up for a wedding would probably be a popular venue or occasion for a speech or you have to give a speech at work and you're very very nervous about it which is often very common maybe there's a few tips in here that would allow you to calm your nerves and so that's what the purpose of today's episode is for so as i said public speaking about 30 percent of people fear public speaking as one of their primary fears depending upon what surveys you look at And the real big question here is, well, why do people get scared when they go to speak in front of other people? I think that ultimately, it's that that act combines a number of other fears that people generally have that are quite close to them. Things like the fear of failure, vulnerability, making mistakes, or embarrassing themselves while in front of people, in front of maybe a smaller audience or in front of a larger audience. This is also something that, to some degree, we will almost all have to do at some point in our life. We might have to make a a speech while we're in school, a speech, like I mentioned, at a wedding or a, another kind of life ceremony, or we might be in a job where we have to make presentations in front of people. And it is truly a skill like everything else. And so what I want to do today is share what I've learned over the many years now of public speaking and divide the public speaking process into, as I mentioned earlier, four parts. Preparation, just before you go on to speak, during the speech itself, and then after. So if I just look at my journey in public speaking, I first began teaching 
around the age of 25. And to be honest, I had very little guidance or very little mentorship in how to speak and deliver a message to people. Much of the way that I have developed my public speaking is through reading, observing my own content that I'm putting together after the fact, as well as just some self-development and understanding that there are a few things that people really aim to do in public speaking that I believe, in, at least in my journey, hurt me in the initial stages. The first was, especially very early, probably the first year or two years that I taught, I was far too ego-driven and trying to be the authority figure or the person that was always right or the person that was delivering the answers to the people that I taught. And I don't think that this is that atypical. We see it a lot in the therapy industry where young therapists kind of go through this transition of ego. I've talked about this on other podcasts where helping people can be a very powerful thing for one's ego when you're able to get somebody out of pain. I think that there's a similar process there with teaching. And so I was far too ego-driven and maybe even too young to be taking on those tasks, especially without some guidance on how to refine myself. So I hope that in this episode, there's a little bit of takeaway for you if you're beginning your public speaking journey. I will also talk about things that I currently do or tricks or routines that I do when I speak as well. So I'll be giving away, I guess, uh, a few things that I hold close to myself now, but but I think that's okay. So let's talk about preparation. And preparation really happens before the speaking begins. And the reality is, is that when you're new to public speaking, the more prepared you are, the better you are. And so what I always say to people is, nerves can survive preparation. So the nervousness, the anxiety, the internal dialogue, that can survive preparation. However, lack of preparation really brings nerves, anxiety, internal dialogue to the forefront. And so I don't really think that you can ever be too prepared for a speech. I think the first way to get a good handle on this process of preparation is understanding how you learn as an individual. So many people, they go to write a speech and they just start writing or they're typing on the computer, but maybe you are more of a visual learner. Or for me, I'm much more of an auditory learner. I retain information much quicker for much longer with much less effort when I am listening to it. So for me, I know that if I'm struggling with parts of my speech, for me to audio record that and then play that back when I'm doing the dishes, play that back a couple of times a day is much more powerful for my learning process. So understanding how you might learn best will make this preparation much easier. The second part of this is understanding structure and expectations of what you're going into. Are you being expected to give a five-minute wedding speech? Are you expected to be giving a PowerPoint presentation at a conference? Are you doing a talk without any PowerPoint? How are you going to remember your speech and your thought process? 
also understanding the medium by which you're delivering the speech. Are you going to be in front of people? Are you going to be on a conference call? Are you going to be virtual and something video like on Microsoft Teams or, or Zoom meetings? This allows you to cater the public speaking presentation to the medium based on someone's structure and expectations. So I think this is really important to ask those questions. How will it be delivered and what are you expecting from me allows you a clear path for developing the speech. Also understanding the medium allows you to understand how are you going to remember your speech. Have you been doing this long enough that you don't need any cueing and you can block stuff in your own head? Are you going to be doing a PowerPoint presentation and you can use those cues on the PowerPoint as your own internal cues? Are you going to be using cue cards? One of the most effective ways that I've learned to retain stuff in my head is what's called three by three blocking, meaning the brain does really well at remembering things in threes. So generally, if I'm doing a longer speech, I do three by three. Essentially, I do three major blocks, and within those blocks in my head, I have three subpoints. And then from there, I can elaborate on those as I go. And so once I have that three by three framework, I just work off of that three by three framework. If it's a longer presentation, I have my PowerPoints, again, blocked to that three by three strategy throughout the, the speech. And it's really easy for me to remember then because I'm being cued constantly by the PowerPoint. The alternative to that is I'm doing a speech without PowerPoints and therefore I'm trying to internally block those in my head. So um, topic one may be introducing anatomy, for example. Topic two might be introducing physiology and topic three might be introducing pathology. And so in the anatomy section, my three blocks might be structure, function, and gross anatomy, for example. And so as I begin to introduce anatomy, I'm already on to my three points, and then I can block that out. This also then allows you to, as you're preparing, consume the content yourself in the way that you're going to be delivering it. So I want to observe my own speech through the lens of somebody that is participating in it and see where the faults are or where things are that I'm really comfortable with versus not. From there, it really becomes practice. Like I said, I don't think you can be too prepared or too practiced. Some tips that I've learned over the years that I felt to be really valuable are practice the speech in parts and practice parts of the speech out of order and continue to practice the parts that you're the worst at until they clean up. Practice the parts in different ways play with it a little bit. If you don't like the wording, change the wording or change your delivery or change maybe how you're moving with respect to your body language. Don't be really strictly attached to particular words if you don't like them. Practice it yourself before you practice in front of an audience and practice it yourself out loud. A lot of the time when we write down speeches, we don't realize that we dislike the order of the words or particular words that we're using until we deliver it audibly 
and hear ourselves what we are saying. You can even take this one step further and videotape yourself so you get good feedback on how you're delivering it from a body language standpoint as well as an audible standpoint. Once you practice yourself, practice with a small audience that you trust. Trust meaning they will give you concrete, critical feedback as to what's working and what's not. Not just saying the speech is 100% great. The reality of it is is that no speech is 100% great. There's always things that you can work on. You want to try and practice in a way that you're going to be presenting the speech. So if you're going to be in a large room and your plan is to walk around, you want to be walking around, pacing. If you're working on being dynamic and you want to be using your hands or props or a table if you're a therapist, use that in your practice. It truly is perfect practice makes a perfect speech. My other piece of advice just for less kind of nervousness and anxiety is try to finish most of your practice so you're done practicing your speech within 24 hours before you present. That then takes us to the immediate time before the speech, which I consider the 24 hours leading up to it. I think my first piece of advice that I found to be so helpful for me is having a just relaxing day. Keep your routine as normal. Your nerves may or may not be in check depending upon how big the public speaking engagement is. If it's something that is really, really big and you've never done it before, it's going to be maybe a little bit more difficult to keep your nerves in check. The other thing is that be mindful of the foods that you're eating. One of the things that I learned very quickly is that for me, if I'm eating dairy products, it's really, really difficult for me to speak. I start to have just issues with my voice, dairy or dairy-based sauces. So if I'm going to be presenting all day, I'm trying to stay away from those type of foods and eat relatively simply and according to my normal routine. The other thing is you want to surround yourself with the people that relax you. You know, whether this is family, friends. When I did the first concussion course live three years ago, it was a really big learning experience for a lot of us because I had never presented on a live feed to the internet, let's say, for two days straight. It was essentially like a live TV show. And so we learned a lot about that type of thing, things like the importance of food. I personally learned about trying to surround yourself with people that make you feel comfortable. You want to try and arrive at the venue and see the venue a little bit earlier than you're going to be speaking. This might be within a couple of hours. If you're traveling to a venue, you might get in there the night before. And this allows you to maybe practice a short segment of the speech in the venue or walk around the venue. This will allow you to jog your memory a little bit more efficiently when you're in that familiar environment again. Just before you go on or in that preceding day or few hours, you can also make sure if you're using technology that you have all those technical things taken care of in the run-up to the speech. Is there going to be a microphone available? Are you responsible for that? Do you need to bring your computer, thumb drives, hard drives, dongles, all of that type of stuff? Generally speaking, I travel with all of that just as a redundancy 
just in case I get there and something is broken. Right before you go on is that period of time where anxiety and nervousness can be at its peak. Usually once you start talking, if you're well prepared, there will be an abrupt decrease in anxiety and nervousness once you get the speech rolling. This may or may not return. It really depends on a number of factors. What I like to do is I like to pump myself up internally before I speak. What you will see me do is probably one of three things or all three things. You'll see me talking to myself, which is a little bit silly, but I'm just reciting in my own head before I go to speak, I am the best over and over and over, which is kind of silly, but I've been doing it for many years. You might see me walk and pace back and forth pretty slowly. I'm just doing kind of a mindful walking exercise at that point. And sometimes you will see me kind of take my index finger and rub it back and forth on my thumb, then middle finger, ring finger on my thumb, and baby finger on my thumb. And that's just another mindfulness exercise to get myself grounded. Before I go on, if it's going to be a long day of speaking, you can do your standard jaw voice warm-ups. I think this is also helpful. If you're doing a full day presentation or you're not used to speaking and you're going to be speaking for a couple of hours, you will get a sore throat. It's almost inevitable that that will happen. Now, the other thing that's really important, and I think that this is something that I tell people as I'm helping them get new to speaking in front of a group, and I think this is one of the things that may be one of, if not the most underlooked thing in speaking. And I'll give you a little bit of an example. When you are new to speaking, you are solely focused on the content and the delivery of that content. So I'm doing a speech on cooking, for example, and I really need to nail these points on cooking and I want to come across like an authority figure and be able to deliver content and answer questions. I think one of the biggest fears of public speaking is getting a question asked to you that you can't find the answer for. And I think that's pretty normal. But one of the things that if you've been doing public speaking for a long time, one of the things that you understand that is maybe more important is what's called room management. Everyone has gone into a room, whether it be a meeting at work, a wedding, if you're a teacher, or if you're presenting at a conference, where you see people's body language or people come up and say things to you that might allow you to believe that that person is going to have opposing views to the content that you're delivering or maybe pushing back on that content. And so the thing that I like to do first is as soon as I go into a room, I like to observe people's body language and, and see what their body language is. And if they are kind of withdrawn, I just like to go up and introduce myself and have a bit of a chat with them to kind of disarm and diffuse that person. And I might do that with two or three people. And I think that that does a really good job at diffusing the room and allowing you to get some fans on your side before you've started the talk. The other thing that I'll do is before I even start my speech, you definitely want to thank people for coming to whatever you're delivering. If you're at the wedding, you want to thank them for being at the wedding. If you're 
at a meeting for work. You want to thank them for being at the meeting. Not everyone has to attend meetings. If you're at a course, certainly, and you're presenting and they've paid to be there, you want to thank the individuals for taking the time out of their day and trusting you in delivering content that's going to be valuable for them. I think understanding the room, the individuals in it, and thanking people can go a really, really long way. So now that takes us to the delivery of the speech. So understanding first, it's always important to have water around and all of those other things if it's going to be a long day that help you get through the speech because if you're presenting for hours and hours, like I said, your throat will get sore. You need things on deck that you may or may not use like caffeine, sugar, cough drops, lemon, ginger, honey, all of those things that we've heard of to try and keep your voice going throughout the course of the day. You also want to have a few little mindfulness activities to help you calm your nerves before. Like I said, maybe a rehearsal of a positive phrase like I am the best. Maybe some mindful walking or another mindfulness activity that you might already do or be familiar with. And try to maybe even, through all the nerves, just enjoy the moment for a minute. And I think that allows you to Be mindful and control those emotions as you undulate through the highs and lows of the speech. The first thing that I do after opening the speech with a thank you is I open with a story. And why I open with a story is people love storytelling. All great speakers are great storytellers. And so I might be delivering a speech on disorders of the foot. And that speech might be really science-heavy. might talk about anatomy, pathology, physiology, other things. But before I get into the meat and potatoes of the speech, I want to capture people's attention. I want to tell them a story that is going to be relevant to what we are talking about to try and capture some emotion and get some buy-in from the people that are going to be listening to me that we're about to go through something that's going to be valuable for you. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is if you feel nervous, I would encourage you to just own that nervousness and tell people that you're nervous. Because once you do that, you generally feel much better. So if you are at a wedding and you're getting up to do a speech for somebody, I would just say, just bear with me a moment. I don't do this often. I am quite nervous. And then I'm going to try my best. That really disarms you. It also disarms the crowd. They're not expecting, you know, someone up there that is really, really well-versed in public speaking. And therefore, you've changed their expectations. I guarantee that most of the people in that crowd are rooting for you to do well. One of the other tips that I found to be really helpful is movement. Moving during speaking makes you, number one, a more dynamic speaker, whether that's with your hands or you're walking, maybe up and down an aisle if you've got availability to do that, or side to side. It causes people to follow you visually, and you can pause when you're emphasizing a point. You can use dead space or silence to emphasize a point as well, along with using your hands. 
if you're in a scenario where you're having to stand at a podium, it becomes more difficult. And I've always found standing at a podium to deliver a speech is much more difficult for me than if I have the ability to move around. In fact, I will do everything that I can to not have to stand at a podium. And if there's one there, I just ask, you know, do you have a a portable mic that I can use or a headset? Am I able to move around? I just find it much more comfortable for myself and able to deliver a better product. The other thing is that I will always have something in my hand as I speak. It might be the advancer, slide advancer for my PowerPoint projector. Um, If I don't have that, I will have something. It's usually just a pen or a pencil. I'll tell you a story about why I do this. I've never talked about this publicly, but for three or four years, maybe up until two or three years ago, I was getting really, really bad dizziness when I was speaking in front of people, particularly when I was delivering something where I had to turn to face a PowerPoint or turn to write something on a board and then turn back to the crowd Um, to the point where I would turn and I would feel as though I was falling over. And this was almost constant for a three or four year period. Every time I delivered a speech and this is teaching courses, what have you. This was happening all of the time, regularly, multiple times an hour. And if any of you were observing me at that time, you might not know that that's what was going on, but it was a massive struggle for me to try and maintain concentration. And one of the things I found is that if I would have something in my hand and I would squeeze it aggressively I would be able to reframe my focus to be more mindful that the dizziness was just there. The chance that I was going to fall over was very minimal because it hadn't really been happening and allow me to continue to deliver my speech. And I should say that there wasn't really any, I did not know what was causing the dizziness. I'd done some routine medical stuff and there was, there was nothing really there. So I thought it might be a little bit cervicogenic in my neck. Um, I thought that maybe it was some physiological response to to teaching or talking. But regardless, those symptoms were there, and it was very, very challenging to, to, to manage. And so I give people this tip in that if you're feeling nervous and you have something in your hand that you can squeeze very aggressively, it is kind of a mindful reset to take yourself away from the symptom and then come back to it. Allow yourself to maybe slow down a little bit. And that's my next key point is slow yourself down because you are always moving a little bit faster than you perceive yourself to be in delivering a speech, particularly if you are not doing it on a regular basis. With respect to slowing down, I also encourage you to appreciate those moments of silence in a speech because those can be really, really powerful to either drive home a point. See, I took a little bit of a longer silence there or just reset yourself. Many people don't use the silent part of a speech because they themselves are nervous and they want to get it over with. The reality is that we, again, perceive our silences in speeches 
as much longer than they are in fact to the audience. So it's not a big deal if you have to take a moment to gather yourself. It's not a big deal if you forget a part. Take a moment to gather yourself. Even if you can't remember verbalizing it and owning it to the crowd will, again, disarm the situation. Just give me a moment. Let me just loop back to where I was at. The other thing about this idea of nerves and nervousness is they are not often perceived by the audience as we perceive them in the body. So for example, three or four years are going by, I'm going through these ebbs and flows of dizziness and almost falling over, and that's sort of perceived by me, but many people don't even really notice that as I'm speaking. So this is something that's going on in our own internal dialogue that in fact isn't really observable to the audience. And we'll talk about more observable signs of nervousness a little bit later. One of the biggest fears of public speaking is questions and trying to have the right answer and look as though you're an authority figure. And I think that's pretty normal. And my tip for that is you don't have to have all of the answers. It's just really not that plausible to always have answers for everything. If you don't have the answer, you can just say, I'm not really sure that's not my an area that I've looked that much into, but you do raise a good point. And following this speech, I'm probably going to investigate that. I'd be happy to get your email or contact, and maybe I can follow up with you. People definitely just accept that as a reasonable answer to something rather than maybe formulating something that you're just not familiar with and giving an answer that's not accurate. The other thing is if you need a moment to answer a question, it's always best to do this little trick and throw the question back to the group of people that you're presenting to. So you're in a classroom or you're in a meeting and someone asks you a question. What do you think is the best way to achieve this goal? And you need a moment. You need some time to think about this. But can you say... Well, that's a great question. What does the group think about that? Get some people to chime in as you think. One of their answers may jog your memory, and then you've got your answer by the time it comes and loops back towards you. Use the audience as a way to create discussion and deflect temporarily away from you to bring your memory to the forefront and your ability to answer the question back to you. You can always use the same strategy for objection and people that are argumentative. So instead of a question, you get an objection coming at you or an argument coming at you. So for example, you say something and someone says, you know, I really disagree with what you said. And instead of you trying to then immediately formulate your response, you should always answer back with a question first to get clarity. And it could be as something as, can you clarify that again? Or can you clarify what you weren't happy with? Again, it gives you more time. Or what did you mean by that? Are you disappointed by this part of the sentence, this part of the sentence, or the whole thing? 
I think that number one gives you a frame of reference for exactly what the person is objecting to, and it also gives you more time. There's also maybe circumstances where you can do both. You can receive the objection, throw it back to the person objecting to you, they come back to you, and then you pass it off to the group. And by the time that five or six minutes has passed, you're now able to formulate a response that you feel a little bit more comfortable with rather than feeling as though you need to respond right away. That's really something that you don't need to do. It's just self-imposed pressure. The other thing that you can do is you can diffuse ahead of time through praise. So for example, if someone has been or you feel as though they might be objecting to something or become argumentative by maybe previous things that they've said or comments that they've said in a meeting or in a speech, you can get ahead of it and praise some of the positive things that they said in that sentence. For example, someone asks a question that isn't really a question. They just want to make a statement. So they put up their hand and they make a statement about Let's say I say arbitrarily stretching the hip has helped a lot of people that I've seen with back pain and they put up their hand and they say, I actually found that uh, stretching the hamstrings has really helped with back pain. Okay, great point. So as I move through that lecture, I'm going to remember that point and I'm going to call out that point as a good, positive, valid point. So as Connor was saying earlier, I've had a lot of success with stretching the hip out to alleviate back pain, but they've raised a good point. Sometimes it might be the hamstring. You've got ahead of maybe some objection through praise, valid point. The likelihood of that person now being on your side is very, very high. If none of that works and there's a lot of objection and argumentative comments coming your way and they're not satisfied I think deflecting until after your speech is done is is then the best move and saying I certainly value what you're saying we don't really have time to parse that out right now but I'm happy to take some time after the speech to address some of your concerns now the important part of that is that you then call that out at the end of the speech, maybe not publicly, but with that individual. So your speech is wrapping up, you've had any final questions, maybe that person's starting to wrap up and collect their things. Just say something to the effect of, hey, Connor, I do want to try and have that discussion that we weren't able to finish off. Are you able to stick around? Does that work for you? Or sometimes the person has to go. At least you've again addressed that concern for that individual and they're more likely to be on your side regardless of, you know, they recognize that you are valuing their time and you want to have that discussion. At the end of the speech, it's always valuable to try and summarize some key points just to reiterate your point and then thank people for taking the time to be with you. Maybe reiterating again, you know, I was really nervous. You made me feel comfortable as the audience. I really appreciate that. Thank you for taking the time to be with me today, and then you're done. Usually after the speech is done, there's a big sigh of relief. You feel good, and you're able to move forward. After the speech, my tips are stick around and try and enjoy yourself. As time gets removed from the speech, you might want to write out 
some positives of the speech and then some things that you can work on. And if you want to go back and rehearse some of those things again or play with some of the words, especially if you're going to be doing the speech continually, then it might be valuable. This is particularly helpful if you're early in public speaking. The other big point is don't be overly critical. Recognize that it's done. No speech is perfect and you will continue to improve on things as you improve your public speaking and the number of times that you speak in front of people, the different venues, and then as you refine your topics. Now, there's a couple of just random things that I would like to add. The first is the being funny effect. And I think a lot of people, when they speak in front of people, feel as though they need to be funny. And I believe, this is, again, just more of a belief than anything, that the need or feeling the need to be funny can really make speeches go sideways very fast and make the train come off the tracks very fast. Especially we see this a lot at weddings. We don't really know the audience that well at weddings. We know maybe the people that are in our inner circle. Let's say I'm at a wedding for my family. I know my family. But there may be 200 people at the wedding and I'm speaking and telling jokes and attempting to be funny for maybe a small subset of people. Now, I'm not saying to never joke or never laugh or never tell a joke. Just be mindful that you don't need to be funny all of the time. There can be moments of funniness. I think a lot of people use humor as a defense mechanism when they're uncomfortable in speaking. The other thing to keep in mind is that when someone asks you to speak, they feel as though you that you have something to offer. You know, if someone's asking you to speak at their wedding, they're doing so for a reason. They care about you. They want you to get up and represent maybe themselves or yourself and the story around you too at a meeting or at an event or at a conference. So take it as a compliment. I think a lot of people, they get too nervous with even the thought and then they refuse to speak but I think if you thought about why is that person asking you to speak maybe you'd be a little bit more comfortable they really truly care about what you have to say and they're and how you're going to represent a collective group of thoughts and so take it as a compliment if you can use some of these other strategies and that helps you get up to speak then I think that that is a worthwhile cause Also, nerves are normal. It is seldom that you are going to feel no nerves at all. Those nerves might be in the form of excitement. They might be in the form of anxiousness. I think as long as you call it out, you are sincere, honest, and yourself, you will be just fine. If you don't speak a lot, people generally understand that. If you're at a meeting or you're at a wedding or you're at a a stag and doe, for example, and you get up to speak, I think people generally understand that most people maybe have a little bit of nerves. So as long as you're yourself, people generally will vouch for you. So I posted that I was doing this episode and I posted a question to Instagram about if anyone has any questions about just public speaking in general, that they 
want me to answer? And the first question was around anticipation anxiety, how to alleviate it, how to make it better as you get closer and closer to the speech. And anticipation anxiety, in my experience, is usually like the three days leading up to 72 hours before the speech are the worst, and then it usually calms down. I think everybody's a little bit different. The reality of it is, is it's just part of it. A lot of this comes from maybe performing poorly in the past or not being overly prepared. But if you are prepared and you followed some of the other suggestions earlier in the episode and you are able to disarm the crowd and name the fact that you are nervous or anxious, it will immediately make things better for you. So I think that getting up there and saying, thanks for having me, um, please just bear with me, I am a little bit nervous, I think that makes things ultimately better. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. that admission. It does get better with time, it does get better with preparation, it is difficult to manage. Sometimes you need an outside person to reframe it for you. So you need a mentor, you need somebody that's maybe observing you speaking and giving you you know, critical feedback in an environment that you can learn from. You want to speak about things that you enjoy as well as not become particularly attached to the outcome. There will be speeches that, or talks or meetings that you run and deliver that you will be happy with and there will be ones that you will not be happy with. That's just the reality of the more that you speak in front of people. You have more wins, but you also generally will have more losses. The other thing to p- keep in mind is a lot of the time, the people that you are speaking to are also equally as nervous because a third of people have this fear of public speaking. Now, we perceive public speaking as I stand up in front of a group and I deliver a speech to a group, but public speaking includes responding to questions being asked of you, asked to come up and volunteer at the front to not even speak, but maybe be a body or perform a demonstration on. So if you're going to even deliver a speech at a wedding, People are nervous sitting there that they might be part of the speech. Well, what are they going to tell? Are they going to tell a joke about me? Are they going to call me out? Are they going to make me stand up? So just understanding the dynamic between the audience and the speaker is that a lot of the time the people in the audience are sitting there nervous. Once you can understand that, it becomes a lot easier to be able to deliver your message. Another question was about imposter syndrome, and imposter syndrome is essentially the negative self-talk that we deliver to ourselves, that we are not good enough, worthy enough, or know enough to be able to deliver a, a speech or a presentation on a topic to people. I did a complete episode on this in episode 92. The first thing that I'll say about imposter syndrome is imposter syndrome gets worse the more qualified you become. It's kind of a good sign in that respect is as you think that you are less qualified, you're not worthy enough to be in front of people, uh, the research would suggest that you, in fact, are. The other thing that I'll say is that many people are already doing what you're doing. So if you want to teach a course, if you want to deliver content, the only thing really separating them from you is that they are doing it and you are not. I promise that every single person, almost everyone, can speak on a topic or deliver information on a topic that is unique to them. 
Everybody's got a unique perspective based on their own experience. Everybody's got a unique lens that they have seen and learned things through. And I remember a really um, important lesson from my brother Niall in a more recent episode about storytelling. He said it best where he said, speak through the lens of where you're at. For example, if you are a new therapist or a new student and you're starting a new journey in practice, speak to that. Hey everybody, I'm brand new to therapy. I've been researching these stretches and strengthening exercises for hip mobility because I've got a really special interest in it. It's really fascinating to me. This is what I've learned so far. Rather than I've been in practice for two weeks and all of a sudden I'm a hip specialist and I've got all the answers for everybody's hip pain. Meet people where you're at and teach them accordingly and people will be much more receptive to your message in that respect. Tell people why you're talking about what you're talking about. I'm passionate about this. I have a special interest in it. Tell them a story about your life and how you got into it. You like to learn as well. You're trying to further your understanding and this is what you've learned. Definitely don't claim to be an expert. If you don't claim to be an expert, you disarm the crowd right away. Say that you're thankful that people are here for whatever reason. You're looking forward to leading this discussion and having the audience learn from this discussion. If you're at a wedding, I'm happy that everybody is here with us today. I'm really excited to tell this story and I hope that you sit back and enjoy the ride as well. Bring people into the collaborative nature of the discussion rather than I am here giving you this. We are here together experiencing this. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a little bit nervous. I hope you're looking forward to it. Let's go. One of the other questions I had was around like physiological responses to nervousness, things like turning red, again, getting dizzy. I think the first thing is... As you get more comfortable speaking, those things have a tendency to get better. I also think that that's something noteworthy of calling out. Hey everyone, I am nervous. Sorry, I do get a little, and this might be an opportunity for humor. I do get a little bit red when I talk, hopefully not too red, a little bit of humor and lightness to start the speech. But I am happy to be here. I am looking forward to today's discussion and learning from you as much as you are learning from me. The last question that came in was about tangents, trying to stay on path, I guess, and not going on tangents or how to get off tangents. My response to this question is, I think tangents are the best thing in public speaking. I think tangents capture people. I think tangents are created by an immediate thought, an immediate need to display a passion, an immediate learning and aha moment for the speaker. I would say to that person and anyone else that goes off on tangents, continue to go off on tangents because I think tangents are the best thing about public speaking. There's nothing like sitting in a presentation as an audience member where you're starting to drown out. And I'm not saying in these circumstances that the person delivering a message is, is boring by any means, but maybe you're tired. Maybe you haven't had a cup of coffee. Maybe it's been a long day and you are on kind of idle 
in a similar way that you sometimes drive to locations and you're like, oh, how, how did this go? Or how did I get here? I've been kind of on this idle all day. And then the speaker remembers this amazing story or this amazing time that they learned something or this really funny moment. And it can just be so changing for you as the audience member. And it can reignite your interest in them, your interest in the process of the whole presentation. I think tangents are the best thing in public speaking. Maybe that's a really great way to end out this episode. So just as kind of a quick summary, that whole learning process begins with before the speech even starts. You then start your preparatory process in the days or hours leading up to it. You've got your during, moving around, being animated, naming your nervousness, having things in your hand, positive self-talk, how to handle questions effectively, how to handle objections effectively, using deflection if someone's being really, really persistent to after the fact. And then after the speech, coming back, seeing what you did well, maybe taking away some wins and losses and then moving forward. Ultimately, the more practiced and prepared you are, the better it will generally go, understanding that nothing is perfect and it is a learning process like everything else. So my question for you is, what helps you in public speaking? I'd love to add to my arsenal. Please leave it in the comments below. As always, folks, I hope that you found this episode to be of value to you. Have yourselves a great weekend, and we will see you in the next one. Thank you.